Hey everybody, welcome to Cinemus, the podcast where we debate the must-see status of the films included in the book A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, and listeners decide if they should make it onto the list of essential cinema. I'm overly made-up diva Mike Emmel, and I am very excited to welcome back my co-host for tonight's episode. You all know him as the key host of Best Picture Cast. He is also the host of our episodes on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Brief Encounter. He's the man who always leaves something interesting under the lunch platter. It is Kieran B. Kieran, welcome back. Mike, I am pumped to be back, man. This is one of my favorite podcast uh, entities here, Cinemus. One of the things that got me uh, fired up in the uh, in the podcasting, the movie podcasting world. So I am so happy to be here every time I, I get to. I get to cross through the gate into uh, the Cinemus universe. Man, you know you're always welcome because, you know, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing over at Best Picture Cast, so much so that I can't stop from stealing you and all of your talent, which is uh, what we're up to this, these past couple weeks. We have had this awesome round-robin game. You're closing us out here. The circle is completing tonight. This is the final of our five-episode series of the Best Picture Cast folks picking movies for each other. And I think because of that, folks really should be familiar with the show by now. But but just in case, let's do a quick plug. What are you up to at Best Picture Cast? What do you guys do? Sure. Best Picture Cast. We cover all the Best Picture winners in no real order. Uh, we'll bounce from decade to decade. Sometimes it's the 30s. Sometimes it's the 2010s. But we pick them out as we go. And we try to get to the uh, to get that whole list complete. And we do them in seasons of 15 movies, and at the end of each season, we rank them. So we'll sit down and, and put one movie up against the other, whether it's uh, Godfather 2 versus Bridge on the River Kwai or uh, Oliver versus A Man for All Seasons. They're, they're all got to go head-to-head at one point, and we, and we come up with a master list as we go. Uh, have a lot of fun with that. And we, uh, we'll do a little fun honorary episodes, have little social media tournaments and uh, do like a World Cup style pool and pick the winners of that. The month of May, we have uh, two of our action movie winners. One was uh, Terminator 2, which I know is a previous, previous Cinemust episode. And we have Armageddon was the other one that won. So that'll be our month of May. And uh, yeah, then we'll be back to closing out our fourth season with uh, a couple other movies. We have uh, Out of Africa and Patton coming up too. So after uh, just releasing Parasite and Unforgiven, which I was real fired up to get out there. We have a lot going on over here at Best Picture Cast. Those are two stellar episodes, by the way, uh, especially the Unforgiven show, which you know I jumped on as a Western fan, and that's that not only warms my heart as just a, a Western one, Best Picture, but really that's one of those years the Academy got it right, and not a lot of folks disagree. Yeah, I'm a big, uh, a big Clint Eastwood fan, especially his d- directorial movies, and Unforgiven is a, is a personal favorite, too. So. It was it was a blast to finally talk some Clint on the podcast. I've done it for some other podcasts, but never for Best Picture Cast. So it was it was fun to do that. We had a great combo, and going right into Parasite was wild too, because that's the most <laughs> recent movie we've covered. So that was pretty crazy too. Yeah, I'm I'm excited, and, and it'll be well out by the time this episode drops. But I wish you luck on the Terminator Two. You, you were kind to call it a previous Cinemust episode. Uh, that's that was a previous Cinemust gush fest. So I th- I think. Uh, I hope it's likewise on BPC. I don't think my heart can take a lot of naysaying about Terminator 2. Oh, what's not to gush about? I mean, I, I don't Edward think, Furlong. It would, it would, <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, well, hey, well, you know, I don't know. I, I think we were kind of kind to him. But I guess we'll have to see, though. But I, I, I you know, for me, man, I, I can't imagine us putting a platform out there where we're just bashing Terminator 2 <laughs> Judgment Day. That if, would be an interesting choice. If you do, I know it's just one of your co-hosts trying to personally hurt me. 
<laughs> That's how I'll take it. Who would ever do that? Who yeah. would ever do that? Um, so for all, all that fantastic content, man, where can people find you? Sure. It's just as, it, just as it sounds, best picture cast, three words, put it into your podcast search engines. It'll pop up uh, on Twitter and Instagram, even Facebook. You can get us at best picture cast. That's where you can kind of play along and vote with some of the tournaments and things we're doing, the polls we do out there. Similar to Cinemus, we like to poll our, our listeners and followers and get them involved with the process. So it's Best Picture Cast. We have over, at this point, over 50 Best Picture winners covered. We're closing in on 60 to end season four. And then at least uh, at least 12 or 13 honorary episodes too so there's a lot of stuff in, in addition to our rankings episodes a ton of content out there if you're a commuter they're done in long form deep dive episodes uh, so we get all uh, all the info out there and and have it in a conversational form so it's it's a good time so everybody if, you, if you're not already checking them out please check out best picture cast they've they've been keeping our show afloat here the last five episodes and uh, I'd, I'd like to get that last one going kieran thank you for coming here to round that out and, and as always everybody thank you for listening We need you all here because the caretaking we need done here is for you to help us decide which movies truly deserve a spot on the list of essential cinema. We just can't do that on our own. So to to decide if tonight's movie is going to make that list, we're leaving it up to all of you to cast your vote on our social media pages on if the movie deserves must-see status. So uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, at Cinemusts. Make sure you're following us on whatever those platforms you prefer, and I'll give you a quick uh, I'll give you a quick rundown of how you're going to cast your vote. Every movie we talk about gets put into one of three tiers, and in the top tiers are the namesakes. These are the cinema musts, the movies that are absolutely essential that you believe absolutely everybody should see at least one point in their lifetime. In the middle tier are the cinema trusts, which are movies that might be good, might be bad. You recommend them to some people, but not everybody. And bottom tier are cinema busts, which might be terrible, might be an all right movie, but you don't recommend everybody see it. There are just better uses of folks' time. So Kieran and I tonight are going to talk about a film. We'll vote into one of those three tiers, but ultimately it's on all of you guys to decide. And Kieran, as we as we close out this game where the Best Picture cast family has chosen movies for each other, you you kicked us off with this. You chose Outlaw Josie Wales. Speaking of Clint Eastwood, you chose that for Adam. We had a great time with that show. Uh, so we heard from you long, long ago. It's gone through Grand. It's gone through Oz. It's gone through Joey. It's finally back to you. And Joey has selected your film for tonight. So I can think of nothing better than to have him explain why he's chosen this for you and I to discuss. When we started doing this project and all of us picking movies for each other, we all decided that we were going to be nice to each other. So that was where we started. Nobody was making poor Mike watch Salo one day, maybe next time. When I got Kieran, I wanted to make sure the best I could that it was something he hadn't seen before. And I came up with a few movies, and what ultimately came down to it was something I thought he hadn't seen, which luckily I got it, something that I think is just a really cool movie that gets talked about, but doesn't really it was really hard to find for a while it just recently came to streaming and my kind of last criteria is what do i want to hear kieran and mike talk about and break down and think they would like and i think kieran you know and whatever happened to baby jane 1962 it's like sunset boulevard goes dark and 
I think that's awesome. Uh, I really enjoy this movie. I think, you know, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, it's, 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 it's a wild ride. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to you guys breaking it down and I can't wait till the next go around of this little, um, draft turning when we're not nice to each other, but love you guys. Can't wait to hear you do it. Yeah. Joey, uh, Joey R man. He's, I'll tell you what, in the, in the whole best picture cast community, I feel like me and Joey have the the closest idea of what each other like and, and what they don't like, at least as, as it pertains to me. Uh, and, you know, Joey can see a movie and be like, ooh, Kira is not going to like this one. Or, oh, Kira, this is one he's going to dig and, and vice versa. So this is, he nailed it as far as a movie that I've not seen. I, this is one that I had not really ever heard of other than maybe hearing the name in passing. So it was when he said it, I was kind of like, what? Okay, here we go. And uh, he knows I like stars. So uh, we, we're, there's no shortage of that here. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for this choice. Yeah, same. I, um, same. And, and I appreciate um, the, 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 whole, the picks in this whole little game have, have revolved around that. Like, look, we can, we can be jerks to each other, but let's not drag Mike into it. So the picks have been quite wonderful. And I, I do, everybody always goes to that. It's always like, don't make Mike watch Solo. That's always the movie everybody's. And, and you know, they're not wrong. Right. I've said it before. I think right. that everybody who owns the Thousand and One Movies book, that's always the last box you're planning on checking off or, or the second to last. Maybe you save something pleasant for like the very, very end. But very few people, I think, go to that first. <laughs> But I think I should start like planning some reverse psychology in there so folks stop doing that. Be like, you know what I would really hate is if you guys made me watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Ooh, that'd really grind my gears. Oh, <laughs> don't you dare. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, this is a first time watch for me too. Out of this series of five we've done the past couple episodes, this is the only one that's a first time visit for me. So we're both going into this very much in the same way, Kieran. And I am pretty stoked to dive into it. So let's get into it. For those of you who are new to the show, Kieran and I are going to talk about whatever happened to Baby Jane, totally spoiler-free for a couple minutes here. So if, uh, like Kieran, you don't really know what the movie's about, well, we'll tell you what it's about. We're going to vote it into one of the three tiers that I described earlier, Cinemust, Cinetrust, or Cinebust, and we have to give three reasons apiece for why we voted there. After that, we'll have to go into spoilers to back our points up, but we'll let you know when that is. So hang with us here for a couple minutes. Um, so Kieran, having never really heard of whatever happened to baby Jane before, it seems only right that I'm cruel and make you give the plot summary. What is the movie actually about? Absolutely. So whatever happened to baby Jane centers around two sisters who are both effectively retired actresses. Jane, a former household name child performer whose fame fizzled away as she matured and Blanche a once-blossoming movie star halted by a crippling automobile accident. While Jane and Blanche live together in their once-proud family mansion, Jane's grip on reality loosens as her grasp on her paraplegic sister grows ever more tenacious. Ooh, I've got chills. So this is uh, quite the... I, I mean, Joey said it best. It's very dark kind of movie and uh i, I kind of want to address that a little later but I th let's let's just get into it and get like the official votes out there so kieran between a cinemust a cinetrust or a cinebust where are you going to put whatever happened to baby jane so I, i'm sure that you have a lot of hosts who who say this uh, but i was i was split here in in my thinking and and i had a vote and today i was thinking about going over to the other side on it, but I'm, I'm going to stick to my original thought, and that's to vote 
whatever happened to Baby Jane in, in, in as a Cinetrust. Middleton, okay. So what are, your, what are your three reasons why? Okay, I was very, very close to making this a Cinemust because I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I, I was happy that Joey recommended it to me. I thought it was a perfect recommend to me. It was a, a, a gripping watch. It was a fun watch. It, I was in for the roller coaster ride of it all. And when it was done, it, it affected me. It was a movie that I, you know, kind of saw in my uh, dream slash nightmares a little bit after <laughs> it, it was over. Um, but the thing is, is just because it's a great recommend to me doesn't make it a great recommend to everyone. So that's why I slot in at Cinetrust. So here would be the three reasons. And two of them, two of the three reasons are centered around our stars and uh, our stars being Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, who are two of the greatest uh, to ever, ever do it. And, uh, you know, iconic figures and titans of the silver screen. But reason number one as to why this is a sin of trust is, is I don't know that this is the best introduction to them. You know, this is Crawford and Davis at the ends of their careers. It's kind of a bit of a revival for the two of them. And I think that one of the fun parts of this movie is, is when you know them already. And uh, you know what they've done. And if, if we're going to say like, all right, a movie's a cinema must because you need to have an experience with Betty Davis. I don't know that this should be your first experience. And, and same with Joan Crawford. So that's reason number one there for me. Um, reason number two, and sticking on the same kind of Crawford Davis theme, is, is that one of the main attractions for this movie when it came out was, and why it ended up being a kind of a surprise blockbuster, was the lifelong feud between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Now, I have to be honest, you know, I, I didn't know that while I first viewed this. I kind of learned that as I researched it. But that was a big part of this movie. And as you know it and watch it again, it adds a lot to it. So that kind of stunt casting is a little dated to the time and not dated in the worst kind of way because it's a real fun companion to have with you while you're watching it. But I don't know that that matters for everybody. I think it matters a lot for the right people, the people who are into old-time Hollywood and into the kind of stars of the time and whatnot. So in a Cinetrust world, it's like the perfect recommend for the right person. But so much of its value is kind of not utilized properly because of the, the more or less baggage that the movie has with it. So that would be reason number two. And then uh, reason number three is, is pretty straightforward, and uh, you know I hate to be callous with this, but this movie's clearly influenced by a lot of cinemusts and major iconic films. Um, one of them Joey mentioned in his intro there in Sunset Boulevard. I also have down All About Eve, uh, Hitchcock's Rebecca I got a lot of vibes of, mm. and, and Hit Hitchcock's Psycho, which comes out two years <laughs> prior. I have to think there's some tonal shifting vibes that they're playing into with this is kind of, um, you know, horror moving into the prestige stage, um, you know. Uh, so, you know, and then even Mildred Pierce, which I know you covered for this, and Betty Davis's first one, Dangerous, all of those movies, whether you consider them sinner must or not, I think are, are places that you'd go to first before you'd go to this one. So it's a Cinetrust. It's not for everybody, but you recommend it to some folks. Who are the people you do Absolutely recommend check out whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah, fans of uh, fans of the silver screen, old cinema who haven't seen this, boom, easy. And that's why Joey knew it, it was a good recommend to me, who uh, loves a good, you know, uh, a good black and white starlet. Uh, I, I think that people who kind of like 
the horror genre and are trying to get into older films, this is a good one to to kind of look into. Um, but uh, yeah, anyone who's seen the older Betty Davis and uh, and Joan Crawford performances and haven't seen this one, you're gonna have a blast watching this and and getting watching their their real life feud kind of come come together on the screen brilliantly, and the two of them just absolutely crush it in this yeah. movie. I'm I'm really glad you made that like one of some of your official points because I kind of at the eleventh hour because I'm joining you on the Sin of Trust vote that that was kind of my thing was like really the thing that keeps us back is you have to you said it best you have to know all that baggage that comes into it and it's like this very specific like set of knowledge for cinephiles so I I also enjoyed the movie I I was a little more familiar with it than you but I actually realized a lot of my preconceived notions about it. I was getting mixed up uh, with Mommy Dearest, which ironically is another movie about Joan Crawford and how awful she was to her daughter. Um, so I, this was a good way for me to separate like what happens in this movie between that one. But I went into it mostly blind. I was pretty pleasantly surprised, but I still only recommend the movie to some folks. And my three reasons, I'll kind of start. I think all my tone, all my reasons kind of have like a, a positive and a negative side to it. My first reason is uh, Betty Davis in the lead is Baby Jane. She sure goes for it, and uh, that that is a big draw of the movie. And I also think there's potential that she sometimes goes overboard. And I'm really excited to talk in spoilers about when that works because there's a lot of times when it actually does. Uh, second reason, the uh, the depressing, the creepy, the tense tones in this movie are relentless. I knew this was one of those movies that is kind of horror adjacent, that it didn't seem to fit like the typical horror genre, but it gave people the heebie-jeebies. And I went in a little overly cocky. I kind of came in like, what? I've seen all the horror movies. I'm an exorcist. Uh, this isn't going to break me. And by the end, I was real drained. <laughs> this movie actually hits way harder than I thought it would. And I, I liked how you said it kind of haunted your dreams and your nightmares because it hits a lot harder than you expect it to. That could be a turnoff for some folks, and for some people, perhaps that's a tantalizing prospect. And um, my third reason actually mimics yours, but it's very much like kid sibling, because you laid out this beautiful um, laundry list of iconic movies. I just have the, the obvious one. Joe even called it out. This movie cannot stop reminding me of Sunset Boulevard. And I don't want that to all be a negative thing because that's not to say that Sunset Boulevard won upset in every regard. I think there are some things that make Baby Jane very unique, but there was just so many elements of it that I was like, I could be watching Sunset Boulevard right now. And that and that turned me off a bit. That might even go into your point about like, is this the best intro to this kind of thing? I don't know that there's a lot of people I don't recommend the movie to. I think I recommend it to essentially the same group as you if you have any sort of interest in this era of Hollywood to kind of understand like what uh kind of a risk it is for these stars as well as like a commentary on their image that is really cool if um like I said you're like a horror fan and you've never seen it like I this movie will actually rattle your cage pretty good so I I think it really is kind of just like if you're not into Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, the, the rivalry is not going to slap as hard. I think the the core conflict is still going to get to you, but I just didn't feel passionate enough about it to say absolutely everybody's got to see it. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. And it's you know it's it's also like on on both of our third points, it's like you know it's not that I wouldn't recommend this to you, 
it's just that I just have a list I'd recommend before I got here. You know, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. And I feel like that's that's a can be a, a, a unique gene to the Cine Trust. Yeah. And and yeah, I I can leave it there because those movies you, you we'd also list it out. Like those are the ones it's like, go after these first. You like it, go after whatever whatever happened to Baby Jane. Um, so yeah, I, I think this will still be a, a good show. I think we're, we're fairly positive on it. This was by no means a, a slog uh, to get through. I don't think I found it as tightly paced as you did. I, I definitely was checking the watch a couple of times, but overall, I think it's a movie worth most people checking out. And, uh, I don't know. It's happened before throughout the spoiler discussion. Sometimes I can be persuaded to change my vote by the end. So that said, Karen, are there any other, uh, just facts to lay out any anything to interest anybody who hasn't seen the movie in it before we get going into spoilers no i i would encourage people to see it though uh you know and uh to if if you're not ready for this one check out one of the other uh one of the other joan crawford or betty davis ones you have previous episodes just did one on mildred pierce for joan crawford and you have that great jezebel episode for betty davis too so there is uh some some cinemas uh uh, potography out there for you to go and, and grab if you want to intro into this one. Yeah, thank you for the plug. Um, I don't know that I, I have much else to say. I think we got to get into the the wild and disturbing world of this movie. So with no further ado, everybody, if you haven't seen the movie, you can find it. Uh, Joe had mentioned it had just come on to streaming and now as quickly as it came, it's gone. It's disappeared off of HBO Max, uh, but you can still find it for rent on most VOD platforms. Get, get it for three bucks, not the usual four. Uh, two hour, 15 minute movie. So you're going to get a bang for your buck. And I think it's money pretty well spent if what we've said interests you. Uh, so from here on out, we will be talking spoilers. So go check the movie out if you haven't, because from here on out, it's spoilers for whatever happened to baby Jane. Now, when I'm very good and do as I am told, I'm mama's little angel and papa says I'm good as gold. But when I'm very bad and answer back and sass, then I'm mama's little devil and papa says I've got the brass. Now I wish that you would tell me, cause I'm much too young to know. All right, Kieran. So to to back up our points here, I actually want to skip around and go to your second point. The the movie's a sin of trust, and you said you know you in a nutshell, you basically to appreciate the movie, you really need to come with a lot of context. You need to understand the feud between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. You kind of have to understand their star personas. You have to understand, uh, you know how they're labeled as divas. You have to have an appreciation for the silver screen era of Hollywood. You know, there's there's a lot of baggage that comes into really appreciating the movie. Uh, so I kind of wondered if we could just dive a little deeper on that and why it's both a selling point and a detractor. Yeah, and and you know it, this this movie is kind of like the culmination of a lot of things, you know, and and I, as I think like you said too, Mike, we both kind of just watched this, and I did my research afterwards, so I didn't even necessarily experience that in in my first watch of this whole thing. But there is an element of kind of like this is like watching maybe watching uh, Return of the Jedi first before you watch the other two, you know? So, um, because there's a lot between these two. It goes all the way back to the, you know, to their uh, fighting over a man in the 30s. You know, Fran Chatone, a star of, of Mutiny and the Bounty, uh, was was a co-host with 
um, a co-star with Betty Davis on, on her first Oscar for Dangerous. And she kind of fell for him. And around the same time, Joan Crawford swooped in and, and got him to marry her, you know? So it, it, right at the very start, they were fighting over, fighting over a dude, you know? And it, it just, that turns into them fighting over roles. And they just kind of can't get out of each other's way all up until they finally star in a movie together on the screen where they're antagonizing each other. It's, it's kind of like a, <laughs> a, a, a cool little like art imitating life situation. Yeah, and I, I liked this reading I had read of the movie that the, the roles kind of played into their screen personas as well in that, you know, Betty Davis was kind of the one who's famous for the fiery tongue. Um, you know, she, she was, I'm, I know I'm going to mix the terms. She's, she's the sadist. And Joan Crawford is famous for playing the, the long-suffering, you know, the, the tough-determined woman, but takes, you know, she's, she's the masochist. <laughs> and so here they're in this movie where they get to both still fulfill those roles they're known for, but they go head-to-head with each other. And it's, it's kind of funny because as much as I like the movie, I find that like some of the stories surrounding the set drama are almost more entertaining, whether they be true or not. I don't know how many of the, those you heard, but like one of my favorites was that Joan Crawford had been married to the chairman of Pepsi and had you know, invested interest in the Pepsi company and Betty Davis had a Coke machine put in on the set. <laughs> like there's this, yeah. And it's like, I don't know if it's, I don't know how much of it's true or not. I, I think I also enjoy that as, as fiery as the feud was, they did seem to have a mutual respect for each other in terms of they were professionals, they were masters of their craft. Like that respect was there and maybe it fueled the animosity a little bit. Um, but like that's, that was almost one of yeah, my well, trust <laughs> reasons is like the stories that happen behind the scenes are almost better than the stuff happening in the actual movie. They both know the business, you know, they're both true professionals and they know how they're, they know how to work. They're out to work first. And, you know, like, like a Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, you know, they may not get along, but they're going to put on a damn show and they're going to make uh they're going to make the, make the show the best and biggest it's going to be. And, and you got to love that about what, what they did here with this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, so what else about the baggage? Like, does, I guess my question to you is, is this point of yours, is this more of like the detractor that bumps the movie out of cinema? Are there positive angles to it that actually make this a strength? Well, I, I think that in its time, this being a blockbuster, that's a confusing thing for someone watching it today. It might be like, this was a blockbuster? Like, why? And a lot of that has to do with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and what they brought into this. So there's, it's it's hard to understand why this is a big deal just by watching the movie. And you have to kind of dig a little deeper to get into that stuff. So, and, and, and a, a, a true cinema must shouldn't necessarily be about the backstory and about what goes into it. But I think a lot of those movies that we listed before, you know, the Sunset Boulevards and the All About Eves and the Psychos, like, you watch them and you get it. You know, you watch it and you get it as you see it. And there doesn't need to be a whole lot of why do people like this so much? Where I think that this movie, I think that there's a lot more to it, as you said before, behind the scenes than there are just on screen. And I agree with you because I, th- I think it's a, a cinemast movie has to, like the movie has to play. And, and one of the things is, you know, this this element of the story is just to like, good and interesting to pass up but like every 
review, critique, article, like even the essay on a th- in the thousand and one movies, like always has to bring up this is the major component of the movie is this real life rivalry. So my question is like, what about the story itself? Like, is there a draw here? Is there an element of this that does play? in a way that works completely detached from you having to know the real life backstory between these two. Now, absolutely. And for me, as I said before, it's a great recommend to me because this is also a genre flick. I mean, listen, this is a, you know, this is a, this is a, a suspense borderline horror thriller. It's claustrophobic. It's psychological. It's, you know, and those types of movies just by nature are not for everybody. You know, and I think that the Betty Davis and the Joan Crawford of it all kind of made the universality a little more palpable. Um, but, you know, there's people who don't like these types of movies. And I think that was one of your points. And, and you know, I mean, this is a this is a tense movie. I mean, this when they're when we're revealing dead birds and dead rats, it's just like, ah. Oh. You know, I mean, and there's like, you know, there's plenty of trigger warnings all over the place, whether it's animal cruelty or, um, you know, family trauma or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's kind of where I was at coming into it was I knew it had this reputation of being kind of like a downer movie and, and horror adjacent. And so I kind of thought, OK, it's it's just kind of playing up on the psychology of sibling rivalry and, and maybe some claustrophobia like that first shot, man, like nothing's going to guarantee that that's the movie saying to you, like, you're not going to have a good time at all. Like there, well, there will be no laughs had because a freaking Jack in the box that's crying. Like, I can't think of a a more clear, like flare thrown up from the filmmakers to be like, this is what you're in for. Yeah. Oh, man. The opening of this movie is is just fantastic. Uh, it It really is super strong. Uh, particularly the the earliest of of the years, this is the 1917 stuff with a baby Jane on stage, kind of singing that creepy song, which you can see how it's like catchy, but it's all it's just there's something about it that's not right, and we learn what that is when we see her sing that yeah. <laughs> in her house by the piano <laughs> with uh, with Edwin Flag playing, you know, where it's just oh, you know, heebie jeebie, but um, uh, it it really brings you into this, and I love that the movie title is not till about 10 minutes into this thing and it just hits you boom you know uh very cool very cool yeah i and this is i'm just throwing nitpicks out here and there we're talking about pacing i i don't know how i feel about this middle section i get that it's necessary to establish the tables have turned the the golden era the 30s of hollywood this is blanche's era set up this because you have to like make the audience buy into the idea that jane would be the one to try to kill her sister but it's it's real hokey exposition heavy for me. I kind of get why they can't play it visually because what they're working with is archival footage from old Betty Davis movies, which props to her for saying like, you need to use this footage from, I can't remember the name of the movie, uh, but she regarded it as like her worst work. And so she, you know, openly was like, yeah, use this footage for them to like completely bash on and say the girl can't act. Um, but beyond that, you know, the guy's walking down Studio Row and talking about Blanche is great, but Jane sucks. And like it, it goes on a little long for me that like when that tile card finally showed up, I actually did say it out loud. Finally. Yeah, no, uh, you nailed it with that uh, in that section particular. Um, the the. The little kid stuff into that title card hitting is great. The that part in between, as you, as you just laid out, this is where the movie is is most botched. 
And I want to come back to that when we discuss the ending in in further depth. Um, I don't know that we want to do that just yet, but I I do want to come back to that because I have a lot to say about this pertaining to the ending. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get there. I got I got thoughts and feelings, but um, I'm okay. So it takes us that long. It's you know 15 minutes to get to our stars, and when one of your points too is you question like, is this the best intro for our stars? So I I kind of wondered if we could couch that point into maybe just talking about the performances. Uh, I'm really interested, especially in assessing what we think of Betty Davis here. So where do you want to start in picking apart them once the story proper picks up? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess we'll just start with their performances and, and then the, what the actresses' strengths are. And you kind of laid that out a little bit about the um, the uh, the sadist versus the masochist. Um, but Betty Davis is a very, she is an extroverted ac- uh, actress. She's she's throwing it all out there. She's dialing the miles per hour up. She is pedal to the metal let's get after it when she actor when when she's out there doing her thing. Joan Crawford is the internal one. You know, she's the one who is is kind of taking it in and reacting to what she hears and what she sees. And, and and as both are huge stars, that's a very different style and it works great for both of them. They're two of the better ones uh, at their craft at each of those those uh those tasks. But seeing them do it in this type of role head to head is really cool for me. And um, I, I'm all for what Betty Davis is doing in this movie. I, 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 it sounds like she might have, she might have rattled your core a little bit over there, but I, to me, I, I love the dialed up the 10 nature of her, of her performance. Well, as, as campy as it can become, I think she's the one I come out the, like feeling the most respect towards not, not to throw Joan Crawford under the bus because as has been documented on the Mildred Pierce episode, I do love me Joan Crawford, but it feels like a lot of kind of the bolder artistic decisions were Betty Davis's to make. I already mentioned, you know, she allows them to use the footage of the crappy movie. Um, the makeup apocryphally is her idea and most professional makeup artists in Hollywood were like, there's no way in hell I'm doing it. If I make Betty Davis look like that, I'm never going to work again. <laughs> you know, that, that she wanted. Oh, it's legit insane. The makeup is legit insane. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, she wanted that look. She had thought it out. She she built this character on this idea. You know, she never washes it off. She just puts a new layer on every day. You know, it's it's a very striking look. And we were talking make iconic makeup in Planet of the Apes last episode. And here I'm like, well, this is this is a whole new thing. <laughs> this is really interesting. <laughs> and it's pretty it's pretty DIY. And, and and this is kind of more to give both of them credit, but just like the idea that they both took on the project in the first place, because it's very, t- to me, this one feels a little dirty to say, if, if you're going against the old adage, you know, they say, oh, there's no roles for women over 50 or 40 or, you know, however egregiously low it is and every guys can work into their seventies. But then it's like, you know, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford say, oh, yes, there is. And it's like, yeah, but your role is that you're both like complete psychopaths and you're, you know, you, it's it's pretty autobiographical, too. It's about two diva starlets past their prime squalling in misery. It's like, I don't want this to be like the breakout role for you know these these people who were in their prime in the 30s and now they're in their 50s. Um, but I also give them credit the they didn't really pull any punches. Like they openly embraced those aspects of the character. They knew they could do it because a part of it was them living their life. 
And I think that takes guts. So I give them all the props for going for it in that regard. Yeah, I I do think the movie does offer and allow some commentary, though, on the Hollywood process back then and how it is a little unfair to 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 actors and actresses, but specifically women. And, you know, when you have the, the child actor, the child performer who's doing the letter to daddy, you know, and doing the whole dance and that whole thing. And then once she kind of ages out of that look, now she's leaning on different type of scout of skills that she's not as as honed in on and all of a sudden she's no no one will ever see this picture and then we're on to her sister who is now blossoming because she's kind of she's been able to hone her craft a little better and she's kind of becoming a star but the second she's injured and no longer viable boom she's stuck up up in an attic watching reruns of her old flicks that you know people telling her how great she used to be so i think there was a little commentary on what's left for actresses after their prime uh, so I don't think that the, the, the movie just just completely diminishes them to what they are. Is it, it is commenting on on kind of what what actresses are sometimes forced to endure. Yeah, it's a fair point. I also really liked what the movie was saying thematically about how each of them in their prime has to sell uh, a specific image and that Jane has to sell the image of the perfect darling little girl or, you know, the ideal family in general, because you know, it's a family affair. Dad's on stage with her. Um, but Blanche is selling the sex appeal, kind of. And that's never made, like, completely explicit. I kind of wish, again, I wish more visual storytelling was told in that second prologue about Blanche because we see a little bit of her movie on the TV that kind of sells us away that she's she's kind of like one of the lion girls with the feathers and stuff, and she's got sass and sex appeal, and, and that's what people love her for. But now, like you said, you know, her, her physicality is taken away from her. The studio interferes to cover it up and then moves on to the next person because she no longer has that image that she can sell. I did like that element of the movie. I kind of wish there was a little more of it. To me, the movie's conflict, I feel, gets a little repetitive in that it's 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 the captivity narrative. It's the... How can Jane get crazier? How can things get worse? After a while, it's kind of just playing this game of one-upsmanship that doesn't introduce a lot of new ideas to it, which isn't like this deal breaker, but it is kind of the thing that makes like the two hour and 15 minute runtime feel like two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, I think this goes back to one of your points about, you know, what, you know, is it too dark or too dreary in that, you know, we're used to seeing like a lot of movies like there's you know conflict 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 resolution and this movie is just conflict 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 and that's the movie you know yeah 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 there's no this poor woman just she just can't break loose and then it's like we find out a little more but it's just like god you know they they're um they're she's stuck in that attic and it goes from like a not a safe space but at least a comfortable day-to-day space between the caretaker and the pet and this to quickly this you are just you're not getting out of this is like this is panic room style you know you're not getting out of here and she says to her flat out you're never going to leave this house you know so it it it, there is an interesting element of of that escalation and saying look it's kind of cool how this how this switch gets flipped but is there a little lack of development there in that too is can we believe that this can get so dangerous so quick um you know, that that I kind of I think that relies on the experience of the viewer. Yeah. 
So I got a question for you. The, the movie is uh, is lauded, mostly lauded, very rarely critiqued, but it, for for veering into being campy and and for a lot of folks that actually works for it. Here's my question. I I think I had one laugh in the movie. Did you get any chuckles anywhere along the way? Uh, I I sure did. Um, I don't know that I have them underlined, but yeah, there were a couple times where this, this got some vocal reactions, but this got some WTF sat of me. This got some, uh, some chuckles. Um, yeah. And, and I think a lot of is probably Betty Davis reacting to her antics. Well, I, I surprisingly, again, to talk about the relentless tone and how this hit harder than I thought it would, like I got way more like gasps than I did last. The only one, I think the only thing that actually made me laugh is, uh, and I loved it because it tied into the character, there's one there's one situation in which Baby Jane can put on a hell of a performance, and it's when she has to call the liquor store <laughs> to put another order as Blanche, and I, I love that they loop in Joan Crawford's voice there. I, I did laugh at that, but like so much of the other stuff, is, and Betty Davis is really going for it, it's really over the top, like I like just no levity to it. And I, it just put me so on edge. I like how you said it's just conflict after conflict, but man, like they, they got me good with both the times that the platter is pulled up, especially the rat like that. Like I jumped actually a little, I'm not going to, I'm not too proud to admit it. That got me really good. Um, you know, the tension of, uh, Blanche making her way down the stairs and trying to get the phone call and like all that, like it was really working for me and it was so much more tense than I thought it was going to be. Cause I was like, how, how deflating can it possibly be? It's, it's two old women, you know, like, yeah, claustrophobia is a thing, but how much, and dude, it really did play. Yeah. The bird really got me, man. I, I was in full on John Wick mode with the, with the bird. Cause you have this poor, this poor woman's only companion up there is this little bird. And she like loves it. It's like, and, and you know, that's, this is what we're going to, we're going to, we're going to first tell her that it flew away and then like, you know, break its neck and throw it on, on a bunch of tomatoes and say, here, bon appetit. You know, uh, it's, that's, uh, it's, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. No, oh, it's it's supremely messed up, and I mean, poor Elvira. I I think that sequence is Ugh. drug out too long, but you know that also like really plays. That is the moment you're like, Elvira, turn around. Like you know she's unhanded. Oh, what hammer, are you doing with your hammer. back to her? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> is... There was an element of camp to that that I and I'm I'm yeah. a, I tend to like camp. You know, we have like RDB at at Best Picture Guest. He's an anti camp guy. And then we, of course, we have the worst picture guest guys who dial the camp up to, you know, Grant and Joe, you could dial it up to 10, you know, but I like a good like production quality camp, you know, give me yeah. some Evil Dead, you know, give me some, uh, some, some of that. And, and, and there was a lot of that in this that I, that I dug. So I think that's another thing I'm kicking against that, like, I'm not opposed to it either. I, I, I did splatter you on worst picture cast. I had a great time, but if, if we're talking about, you know, the legacy of these two stars, I don't think they can be in like just a hokey slasher you know this does have to have some artistry to it and so much of it does you know betty davis got an oscar nomination and i think it's a well-deserved nomination because as much as she really goes off the deep end when she's playing her crazy scenes like her scenes of longing and remembrance and hurt do get the pain across and and do help you empathize with this character who is a maniac and who is doing absolutely awful things and it's I think it works for the central conflict too, because you're on Elvira's side a lot of the time being like, Blanche, what are you doing? Like, why do you have her around? There's no excuse for this. So I, 
I really like what she does. I think she goes a little off the deep end when she's doing like the big capital C crazy stuff. But overall, I think this is a performance with way more positives than negatives. And again, I just got to give Betty Davis props for having the guts to do it. Um, so, so that's a lot about Betty Davis. But, you know, there's, there's a, another key player in this. We haven't talked a lot about Joan Crawford and her performance. Now, admittedly, the less showy role. But, uh, you know, I, let's give her her time in the spotlight, too. What do you think of Joan Crawford in the movie? Yeah, I mean, as I, as I mentioned before, you know, Joan Crawford's style is way more intuitive and way more of that, uh, that kind of take it in and react, which I, I always really respond well to that style. Um, I, I would imagine there's been a couple debates uh, that kind of slide into this with some of these previous episodes. I haven't heard them yet, of course, as they're not out yet, but... I'm sure that there's a Clint Eastwood acting ability debate that went on at some point. And, um, uh, you know, I'm not asking the, anyone to tip any hands, but I, one of the things I like about Clint as an actor, and one of the reasons that I defend him is, is that he is that, uh, you know, beta type where you're, he's sitting back and letting the other person run a little bit and he's internalizing what's going on. And, and I think Joan Crawford does a lot of that as well. Um, and, and you see that in, in uh, her, her, the other movie you covered, Mildred Pierce, and it's a ton of it in this. And my second watch of this, you get a lot more knowing where the movie's going at the end. And when she's talking to, uh, when she's talking to Betty Davis about, well, you know, it's not really your decision to make with the house because my money bought it. And she goes, no, the, uh, the money that I made, you know, this is, daddy bought this house for me. With the, you know, with the baby Jane. And it's like, you're watching and you're like, you don't really know who's... The second time you watch, it's like, you know what? I mean, baby Jane might be right here. And this could be... This, this actually probably is Blanche trying to tell her what the history was. And you No, 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 you don't remember. You don't, you don't think I remember anything. And it's this kind of... There's, there's this inner dialogue that's going on here with... Uh, with the Blanche character that is is kind of fun the second watch and and the performance gets a little better as you you view it more so I thought that they both should have been up for best actress in this one I really do oh that would have been a trip man um yeah I I got gaslit so hard in that scene you're talking about because I like went back through my notes to be like I swear when like the studio guys were walking down the row they were mentioning like with, you know, this last picture, Blanche has bought that old Valentino place. I was like, I swear that happened, but I was like, I wasn't totally sure. So I, I thought the same thing, like, did Blanche buy the house? And I, I, I knew that was kind of what it was setting up, that, you know, the, the coy way in which the car accident is filmed in the second prologue is clearly setting up that not everything is as it seems. So I thought that was like a good way to keep that alive, that not everything is as it seems. There might be some rewriting of history here, some gaslighting going on. Um, and that you, yeah, the old unreliable narrator, yeah. the unreliable narrator. Yeah. And, and you really put a lot of Joan Crawford perspective for me that it is she herself has a very introspective style. Even going back a couple episodes to Mildred Pierce, you know, she doesn't have a ton of big outbursty moments. You know, she she is kind of the, just the rock, the determined, the strong figure you know she's and and just you know comparing the two episodes from the actions we've done you know mildred pierce to jezebel you know jezebel's this movie replete with betty davis is going to get in everybody's face and she's the the firecracker mildred uh joan crawford and mildred pierce not like that so 
it's good. I think it's good typecasting. And I think that's one of the things that does help the movie play, even if you are ignorant of their entire history and their feud, that they have stuck to their styles very well. They found this story that fits it. And um, I'd, I want to say I'm still a bigger Joan Crawford fan, but I, I did give an awful lot of praise for Betty Davis in this movie. And I think she wins this movie. But Joan Crawford has that one-two punch of Mildred Pierce and Johnny Guitar for me. But Betty Davis yeah, so has what... Jezebel and All About Eve, so... Uh... Mm, yeah. Yeah, and I think that my, you know, I think that my favorite performances from each are, are probably Mildred Pierce and, and All About Eve. Uh, but, you know, I'm a, Betty Davis's first Oscar win for Dangerous, you know, I, I did an, an alternate Oscars podcast covering 1935 and uh that was the year of that performance and she beat Catherine Hepburn and, and Alice Adams and I honestly I was and I know that Dangerous is not really fondly remembered or looked upon but I kind of dug what she was doing that and I I understood why she won that Oscar and many consider it a makeup Oscar that she should have should have won the year before and here yada 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 uh and that should have been Catherine Hepburn's or whatever it is but it is the classic Betty Davis dial it up to 11 I'm going buck wild and I'm making everything. And she, it's hard to make that work. And Betty Davis is just really, really skilled at it. You mentioned in Jezebel too. So um, it's a, it's a fun one, two punch in, in this movie. It really is. Yeah. And that's a shame that, you know, Catherine Hepburn never won in the Oscars. That was really her show. Oh yeah. That was a very un, unreward. <laughs> yes. She was never, never properly honored. <laughs> Um, so, so here's, here's the question. It's, it's kind of been leading to this. So the movie has the big twist at the end that Jane was not driving the car that night. And some of these, you know, alternate histories we've been hearing, there might be something to them. I I really just want your thoughts on if the twist works for you. Yeah. And I do have thoughts and this is going to go back to what I was alluding to before. And I, I, in many ways, it really does not because I, I just don't know that I buy it. You know, I don't know that I buy it based on what was presented to us on screen Um, outside of like some subtle subtext between the two of them in the room, having some conversations about who paid for what and whatnot. They, this movie really drops the ball in that second segment of the intro crushes it when they're little girls love that the little girls were perfectly cast by the way it just they just look like younger versions of those actresses uh, that next section that's a moment where you can you can tell us a, a story without telling a story and i know that you mentioned you're like well i guess they really can't because they want to pay off this twist well a great filmmaker can and i think that's where this was lacking you know, where the if you had a Hitchcock in here, he'd be able to take that section and lay some groundwork to make that twist pay off. Because it is a twist, because it comes out of nowhere. It's like, oh, shit, really? But it's like, and then it's like, wow, okay. And then it's like, but, 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 did, but did we earn that? You know, did we, or did we just twist it just to, just to, you yeah. know? Um, and I think it's lost in that little section there where they just kind of show, all right, well, you know, Baby Jane is not really a grown-up actress. She doesn't work. The other one's established. Okay, oh, and there's a car crash. Nah, there's, there's some moments there where we can mend the relationship between the two of them and show that there is true divisiveness enough so that one would want to drive a car into another. You know, where, where is the evidence of that? 
Yeah, especially all this, you know, she's Blanche has put it in her contract. You get a picture out of Blanche, you got to get one out of Jane. Um, I I have the same debate like, OK, does this retroactively enrich the movie? And I, I didn't get a chance to go watch it again, but I was kind of replaying key moments in my head again, knowing what I know to say this potentially helps with the motivations of Blanche that when Elvira is saying, I don't know why you put up with it. What do you why do you keep her around? Why don't you put her in a home? You know, maybe this is either guilt on Blanche's part. Maybe she's fearing some sort of divine retribution. You know, this stuff like maybe clicks a little bit better. Maybe it also explains why Jane's in charge of taking care of her in the first place. Some folks have said it was like this thing that was put in place by the studio as part of them covering up everything that they were forcing her to take. I I don't know that I buy all that. I, I think, you know, that stuff might work okay, but I really kick back against it. Because its point is to say, you've you've hated Jane the whole time. She's been this monster. She's fed her sister rat. She's literally starved her and tied her up. She's done all the horrible horror movie captivity tropes. And then the twist is like, but what if she was the real victim? Which is not to say that what you know what played out is not a terrible psychological trick to play on somebody. But it's just like, you know, okay, well, I have empathy for nobody now. Like, it's just, it's just yeah. and, and it goes back to, you know, the tone is so relentlessly despairing that, you know, it, at the end, it's just like, everybody sucks. Everybody's miserable. Be a good parent to your kids is the lesson here. Don't, don't force them to sell an image. You know? So she tried to drive her car into her, failed and paralyzed herself. And then continued to have all these horrible things happen to her. It's just kind of like, boy, Blanche is just, 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 just a total foil in this whole thing. She just, 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 there's no light at the end of the tunnel for her, you know? And, and just showing an eight-year-old mean mugging in the beginning, I'll never forget. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's yeah. not enough. That's not enough. Yeah, yeah, I needed yeah. to see them as adults. I needed to see the two of them together as young adults and have, have that dynam- dynamic be more than exposition, as you said before. That section was just quick exposition to move the old baton along in the relay race. And there was no real character development in that section where I think it was needed in order to deliver that twist in the end. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying it, but I could have used like an old fashioned, like newspaper clippings montage or something to kind of develop this this story (laughs) a little bit better. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's this twist. I don't think it like the worst comes the the line i know it hits really well for some people but the line you know or you mean we could have been friends this whole time it it doesn't totally work for me i think it's a very sad line i think betty davis does a good job with it but i'm also like no that's not that's that's way too out of nowhere i i do like this sentiment that another you know strong suit of betty davis's performance is her she keeps reverting to her childlike state especially like when elvira has cornered her and is questioning her on you know, what are you doing? If, if this is really what happened, why are you behaving this way and all this? And that Betty Davis is like really reverting to like how a kid would act when they get in trouble. It's, you know, dodging the issue or, you know, um, and I like that she goes, you know, as soon as she finds out the truth and she goes, goes and get her sister some ice cream and she just wants to have an ice cream day at the beach. Nice sentiment. It's not all connecting because there's, there's been no, (laughs) uh, passion there, there's not even any reminiscing of like there, there's not even any reminiscing about like them bonding over shared pain or trauma no like dad was really hard on us or anything like there's there's no connection they they connected to people 
through their art and Blanche more so. Like that keeps coming up over and over again that Blanche really made a connection to people and she keeps getting fan mail and people see her movies on the TV today and it takes them back and they feel so good. You know, Blanche has a better relationship with public she's never met than her own sister. And I want I want one of those moments where it's like, where is a bit of the sibling relationship? Where's a bit of the connection that lies outside of the realm of jealousy and envy and hatred? Yeah, yeah, you know, she's she's it, it, baby Jane baby Jane's going to put the ad in and who's the ad for? Well me. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and need your name. It's Great like, Oh, well I'm I'm baby Jane. They're like Archie Lee's like, who the hell's baby Jane? You know, I I, I, I love it. <laughs> Great I'll recurring tell you what did work. Yes, great. Awesome. I'll tell you what did work for me about the end is the visuals. Like visually, the beach, um, being cooped up in that house. And, you know, we're told that, that Jane barely ever leaves, um, that obviously Blanche doesn't go anywhere. So opening it up onto the shores with, with the ice cream stand, all that, that really worked for me. I thought there was, um, it was a nice way to, to, to leave the movie off visually. Uh, the choice for this movie to be in black and white is supreme. Uh, this, yeah. this this movie does not work in color. Yes. Betty Davis, again, another choice that she kind of pushed to say, I think she said it, it makes a sad story look pretty and it shouldn't look pretty. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think ultimately, you know, and I hate to put it on someone, but I, I think this movie could have used a better director. And Robert Aldrich <laughs> is like a good, he's a good hands man, you know, but I, I do think that that's kind of can sometimes be the difference between a movie being a cinetrust and a cinemust. And I think that, that the lack of direction here, if this is, if this is a Hitchcock, and I know that he, they were trying to give him this project and it didn't work out with him um, schedule wise, but uh, I think that could have really been something if, if Hitchcock. So that's your, I was going to say, best picture cast is the time machine recast. That would be your, your directing pick. Oh yeah. I, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I've, I've guessed it on the show before, you know, that's my worst category is the, the time machine recast. Cause I don't play this game very well, but I, I don't know that I agree that Hitchcock could have pulled it off. I think something about his sensibility specifically towards women I, I don't know that he can handle a movie in which two women have to relate to each other, which, you know, I just went off about like their relationship is not, you know, I honestly, I'd love to see a female director tell him this more to get at those like nuances. Um, but I think there actually was something to having Robert Aldrich, who's not unbelievably accomplished. Like he's a well-established director, but I, I think there is kind of something about him kind of being like the underdog director having the vision being gutsy enough to unite Joan Crawford and Betty Davis together. There's something about that story. I really like that. He's not the, the big wig hotshot director. I agree. I think he fumbles it in a couple of places, but mm. again, I yeah, think it's, it's a story issue more than a directing one. I hear what you're saying. And I could see how Hitchcock could knock it out of his own way or make it about him. You know, yeah, and, and maybe yeah. this is the movie that might not have even worked with Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. You're not going to make the movie about about yourself when the two of them are there. Um, how about we throw out another one and see if this would, okay. would work for you? I don't know if the timelines work, but it is a time machine request. What about a, a Peter Bogdanovich directing this? Okay, so I don't know the timelines were. I forget where when uh, Target is, but I think it's a little after. Duh. Now you're putting me to task on my Bogdanovich night. So I know. <laughs> uh, so I got Targets. We got What's Up, Doc. We got Last Picture Show. I, I would Paper say, Moon. yeah, I would say based off Last Picture Show, I could go for that. Yeah, I was just thinking Paper Moon, too, which, which I, I got vibes of with, with this one, uh, just kind of visually and aesthetically. Yeah. Um, 
um, yeah, I don't know. That would be kind of a, a cool thought. Yeah, and I like how you said, I, I think, you know, you already had such two big egos in the stars. I don't know that you can bring in somebody like Hitchcock, who is the bee's knees in the directing world. I think that's that's too many egos. I think, like, a black hole might literally form on the set and suck the rest <laughs> of California into it. Um, so if if we could, because we both kind of have a similar point on like there there are just other movies this this movie's cribbing off of, and I've I've solely put my focus on Sunset Boulevard. You had you had this laundry list more more than just kind of talking about the the one on ones because I think the movies cribbing from Sunset Boulevard is all fairly obvious. <laughs> the, the aging starlet hold up in the mansion, the captivity, the desperation to be to make a comeback, and and all you know that's all pretty obvious. I, I guess what I kind of like to ask is to flip these points on their head and ask, is there something whatever happened to baby Jane does that uh, does set it apart from those? Is there a direction it takes itself that works and is unique and isn't, uh, you know, priming itself to be compared to those other movies we've mentioned? I, I, I do think that there is, and I think it, it lies in uh, an entity in this movie that we haven't discussed yet. And that's Victor Buono's uh, Oscar nominated portrayal of uh, edwin flag which is a character the... hitchcock could direct because he has mother issues <laughs> yeah he's kind of a, 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 such an odd wild card in this thing like this movie could just so easily be the misery of it all you know of 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 um kathy bates and and james yeah, Conn, and right. just that's all you get is them but there is the the victor bono section is kind of this extra element that's like creepy and odd and i you know i'm like i got i think i need to rewatch this to figure out what's going on here and it's just it 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 reinjects that uh that underlying mistrust with uh with hollywood and with um with with the spotlight and 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 the you know the um what what there's a word I'm I'm on the tip of my tongue that I'm not I'm not I'm not getting, but um, being in in having to strive to get to the main stage again, and all the people that are trying to work their game and get what they got to do to be to be in the spotlight is um I I think that just the injection of his character into this does make this movie uh does give it an extra layer and an extra element. Yeah, and I mean not to not to be a naysayer, but I I think Sunset Boulevard one upset. I I think the William Holden character is in the same boat that Norma Desmond is this vehicle, at the, at the very least a meal ticket, which is this dynamic that's played out again. <laughs> and then that's a great scene with Victor Buono where he's basically auditioning for the job and playing the piano, and he just kind of has to put that smile on his face and be like, "You sing wonderfully. Oh, this is beautiful. Do this again." And you know, just very clearly like, "Well, there's a paycheck here," and this. Yeah, the decision living. to dial up, uh, dial up his English heritage, and yeah. put on the accent. Yeah. His, his mom's got the Cockneyed accent, and he's kind of has this Americanized accent because he's ashamed of his mom. And and now he's playing up this. Oh, T, you must have guessed that I was British, you know. And it, it's, uh, I think there was, you know, where the the difference to me with this and the Holden is that the Holden is like the first voice you hear at the beginning of the movie. You know, he's, you know, it's he's a a main part of the narrative where where this uh, Edwin Flagg character boom he kind of he's introduced halfway through this movie uh and it's kind of like what's going he's he's almost more of the of the the bates character you know the um uh the bates motel you know and um yeah he's, uh, he's and, definitely an arbogast yeah 
figure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like to me. I think like the one thing it's do. Um. Okay. Maybe not the one thing, but the one thing I've been able to think of that is setting it apart from Sunset Boulevard and these other movies you'd mentioned is like the the tone is like it definitely does go darker. Sunset Boulevard, I think, still does this great job of showing how people are eaten up and used by the system and when they've outlived their usefulness they're they're kicked to the curb they're left to lie in squalor i think you know hollywood gothic is done better in sunset boulevard than it's done here but the you know just the sheer desperation the the, the depression of of being outcast there is done better in this movie because norma desmond i you know she's still you still see her as pathetic it's sad she's delusional um she does kind of still live in a bit of the trappings of the glamour which i think is very poignant for Sunset Boulevard, but I think it's equally poignant for whatever happened to baby Jane, that the sisters are not living in this amazing mansion, which I think it's described as when they talk about buying it. But then you see the house and it's like this, uh, this is okay house. I wouldn't call this a mansion. Yeah. And they have, they yeah, have the next door neighbors, like really close by, like Joan Crawford could almost right. yell for help out the window. Yeah. And I don't know why she never does for some reason. She can't, uh, there was a major nitpick of mine. It's like, just yeah, yeah, yeah. yell, just yeah, yeah, yeah. yell. You're just dropping a note out and hoping they see it. But, um, I, the other thing is like everywhere, every description I heard of this movie calls this a decaying mansion. It's like, ah, yeah. I mean, this thing's Run decaying. That ain't, that ain't that bad. I mean, yeah. I, this, I've seen more decaying uh, houses than that. I mean, come on. It looks like they're doing all right. Yeah. It's going to sell. That's going to sell for a nice amount, but you know, the, the close, the proximity of the neighbors might be an issue. But. Yeah. But, but I like that idea, you know, to be like, you were the biggest movie star in Hollywood. You're struck with tragedy and now you kind of just live in a pretty nice house. You got neighbors like, yeah, you, you kind of have like the quote unquote normal life and you still have to drive yourself to the post office. There's no chauffeur. There's nothing like that. Mm. I think it played up the claustrophobia more. And again, it's, it's just darker. It really, that, and that's the other thing too, is, you know, Sunset Boulevard plays around with the glitz and the glamour of hollywood whatever happened to baby jane just instantly kicks it to the curb to be like there's nothing we're, we're going to play on absolutely none of the good old days like we're, we're gonna see yeah. the the glory days through the tv screen the, you know the tiny tv screen getting getting at the line from sunset boulevard i am big it's the pictures that got small um yeah. You know, you know, we, we have none of that we don't even get to see the parties we barely hear them reminisced about I think that's effective. I think that is kind of the one element I felt whatever happened to Baby Jane was doing its own thing away from Sunset Boulevard and doing it a little better, or at least, you know, unique, that I wasn't like, you're the kid sibling movie. Yeah, and that great choice at the end, too, where uh, it's, you know, there's there's literally a manhunt for these two these two former stars. And they're just on the beach with everybody, you know. These yeah. cops are there having ice cream. <laughs> yeah. they don't even, is that her? Is that the car? Yeah. Is that I don't know? Like they just they're just they're just so irrelevant that it's like people don't know who they are, what they look like, and and they're here they are just laying on the beach while the, you know, there's a quote unquote manhunt going on in the headlines of the papers. <laughs> I do like that. The, the cops on the beach beat luck into it is a, is a pretty great twist. Yeah, man. I I feel like I've kind of been able to see my piece on my my three points. Is there is there anything of yours you feel like we haven't been able to cover? No, I I think I have everything covered pretty good. I think I got everything covered good. Well, uh, before we close it down here, we got some double features to lay out, so that might dredge up some stuff. I am very curious, especially talking so much about tone the way we do. If you're gonna put uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane into a double feature with something, what are you picking for the second half of that bill? 
Oh, man, I just had so many choices for this, and it was really hard to narrow them down. And I hate to be the guy that, that lays out two. So I'm just going to do one really quick because it's very surface level and obvious. Uh, and, and I do think that there might be a, a, an area where this movie needs a, a palate cleanser. And if we're going sister rivalries, I have to go to a, a previous episode of Best Picture Cast, uh, which won our sports tournament would be A League of Their Own. Uh, yeah. yeah, Gina, yeah, Gina Davis <laughs> doing her thing, and uh, yeah, just uh, love that that rivalry there. So that that's a good little sister rivalry thing. Great movie. And the uh, the other one I wanted to say, if we're just staying a little more genre y on a fringe horror, fringe suspense, it's going to be one from this past year, twenty twenty two. It would be Jordan Peele's Nope. Okay. Um, we're yeah, we're touching in with the uh, the effects of a child star. In Stephen Yoon's character and and how uh, growing up after being a child star and the trauma that can exist there and a lot of a lot of commentary on uh, being in the in the limelight and showbiz and uh, the paparazzi of it all and and um, you getting those those suspense and horror vibes too uh, totally uh, and you have a little sibling dynamic there in that uh, as well so um, yeah I, w- I would go either one of those places. Oh, that's a solid pick. And I, I do like that. I think Honest Trailers, that's another killer line of theirs where they, it's an allegory about how working in Hollywood is like slowly being eaten alive by a giant flying butthole. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's a, great. Yeah, good pick. And, and replete with uh, some comedic relief in case the tones are going to really wear you down. <laughs> like, nope, nope has a lot of solid moments. That was a good pick. Yeah. I I am kind of keeping there. I I really wanted to go and see Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which was the the pseudo sequel. Um, Joan Crawford had to drop out at the last minute for you know, various reasons. Depends on who you ask, and that was to be the reunion, and it didn't work out. And I I just didn't have the time, and I was also just like I. If one of my points is like that the the depressing tone, the claustrophobia, the creepiness is relentless. Do I really want to dive in and do this in a whole other two hour movie? So I, I did kind of keep genre adjacent, um, but way, way less connected. My double feature recommendation from 1973 is Brian De Palma's Sisters. Have you ever seen this movie? I have not. So, and, and funny enough, like, I think talking Time Machine director recast, I actually might be interested to see what like a, a 1973 De Palma would do with whatever happened to Baby Jane's script. The, the, um, the connections are really lying in the this to the title like this is another movie with sisters it's a it's a slasher movie it's the first it's it's De Palma's like seventh movie but it's touted as like it's the first time he like showed who he was this is the first like real De Palma movie where he's using his tricks with split screen um but it's it's this story Margot Kidder plays uh conjoined twins Dominique and Danielle uh, there's a murder in one of their apartments. It, it's really this like slew of homages to a bunch of Hitchcock movies. It's it's Psycho meets Rear Window meets Vertigo meets Rope a little bit. There's a, a twist at the end. A thing that you thought you saw happen isn't what it seems. I guess there's that connection here too. But I, I was just kind of in that mood. It's It's a bit circumstantial mostly because my amazing wife every year gets me a Criterion Collection movie. And I hadn't seen this one in forever. She got me this one and I needed an excuse to watch it. I'm like, hey, whatever happened to Baby Jane has sisters and I have sisters on the shelf. It's it's a ton of fun, though. It's it's also short. It's 90 minutes. It's very pulpy. It's very campy. But it is very cool. There's, uh, as I mentioned, there's some 
scenes where De Palma is doing his thing with split screen that actually works very, very well. It's fun and works to build the tension at the same time. I think the performances are really good. Margot Kidder, I think, does a really great job. Um, so, the, the, you know, keeping a bit with the the disturbing tones, the unhealthy link between sisters, but also having a little bit more fun with it, going a, a little bit more full slasher into it. I think that's what I'm going to stick with. Very cool. That's one I uh, I got to check out. I, I, I've been meaning to to look at the De Palma filmography and, and get into that because he's a, a director that I'm... I need to check some boxes with it. A lot of stuff I haven't seen by him. So same. he's one that's, that's kind of intrigued me. So I gotta, I gotta look into that one a little deeper. Yeah. Same. He's one I, you know, we still haven't done a movie of his. He's, he's okay. Represented a lot. The funny thing is a lot of his movies I would most want to talk about are not in the book, nor have they been. It's kind of crazy to me. Blowout's never been in there, but um, I recommend sisters. It's a really fun time and a good place to start with him to get a vibe. Check on him. Very nice. Excellent. Well, uh, if there's nothing else to say here, Karen, I think we ought to start winding down. So this uh, this leads us to the the slew of invites to the audience now that we've had our say. Uh, be following us on our social media pages. Again, we're at Cinemus because this Thursday we're going to ask you guys what you would put into a double feature with whatever happened to Baby Jane. And that will prime you for this Friday when we ask you to make it official. Kieran and I say it's a Cinetrust, but we could be way off. It may be a Cinemust. Only your votes are going to decide this Friday. So make sure you're following us so you don't miss your chance to cast your vote. And Kieran, thank you for closing out um, this game, this this festival, whatever we're calling it. It's been a blast to be talking with the Best Picture cast crew for movies they've chosen for each other quite kindly. So it's been a good mix of films, and I'm... I'm excited for the next round, which it sounds like, according to Joey, that's going to be the uh, round two. The gloves are off. It's not going to be quite so pleasant, but I, lo- <laughs> I look forward to whatever comes. Very nice. And and I, you know, I'm happy to anchor here, happy to be the guy who uh, who brings us home. But I will say is another debate that I think might have gone on uh, again, just kind of guessing, reading the tea leaves a little bit. I watched Mildred Pierce for this, and I'm guessing that the Mildred Pierce verse Lost Weekend convo might have come up at some point. Sure did. And I, I gotta, I gotta lock in my vote for Cinemust, Billy Wilder's The Lost Weekend. Okay. That's a movie absolutely everyone should see. One of the best Best Picture winners. Love Mildred Pierce. Great performance. Good flick. The great Michael Curtis. But Billy Wilder's Lost Weekend, a Cinemust. There you go. That's your law. Okay. And, and this is being recorded before that episode officially drops. So you, that you're playing it legit. Uh, I won't spoil you for how that conversation went, but it surely did come up and we very much addressed the, the good, the good vibes, the good feelings that movie has on best picture cast. I'll, I'll leave it up to you on release day for that to find out. And everybody else, you know, that was, that was three weeks ago. So you can go listen to the Mildred Pierce episode right now. I know what Adam's up to over there. I know what he's up to. <laughs> he's, he's a shifty one, that St. John. Uh, it's because he's the outlier. He's not officially part of BPC. How did he get in here? It's even? true. Who invited him? That's how it goes. <laughs> Man, Kieran, thank you so much for coming on. One last time, where can folks find Best Picture Cast? You can get Best Picture Cast wherever you get your podcasts. We're at Best Picture Cast. Just type in Best Picture Cast to whatever platform you're trying to find us on. Social medias are the same. Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, Twitter. It's all Best Picture Cast. Come find us. Couldn't recommend it more, everybody. And Kieran, thank you one last time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you 
Um, soon. I don't know what's coming up next. This is weird. Every episode I've been able to say, hey, what movie did you pick for the next guy? And now we're, we're back in unknown territory, but we've got some good stuff planned because we're officially over a hundred episodes. Now we completely blew it <laughs> on recognizing yes. that in the last couple episodes, but, uh, we've made it. I want to do something fun and special. So we'll be throwing it out to listeners to decide, you know, what's going to come next. So stay tuned. Everybody we will have something good for you. Kieran, thank you for coming on. Everyone, thank you for listening, and don't forget to eat your din-din. Mm-hmm.